Welcome to Friday Morning, and this is John Hulsman with our weekly look at Around the World in 20 Minutes, our chance to make sense of this beguiling new planet we find ourselves on. And what a busy week it's been. We are just back from an absolutely fantastic event at Lake Como at the Villa Dest, one of my favorite places in the world, one of the best hotels out there where we played a great war game. I enjoyed it immensely being there with y'all. And then Sarah and I drove across the Alps from there and our little mini uh, made it across the Alps uh, to Geneva to do, to do an event there, a corporate briefing there, and then back home where I am frantically trying to finish uh, this latest chapter of the book. Thank you so much. Many of you have asked about the book. It's coming along great around uh, the world in 20 minutes is, is, of course, what I do with you guys as part of my day job. But the book, the book, the book in the long run, it's again, doing these is like doing a concert and a gig, whereas writing a book is like doing an album and it lasts forever. And I'm so excited about The Last Best Hope, our history of American realism, where I hope to uh, find common cause in realism between the Jacksonian base of the Republican Party and the Jeffersonian establishment of the party and putting those two things together through the common principles of realism and really reunifying the party as a realist party as it was under Reagan, under Nixon, under Eisenhower, under Teddy Roosevelt, all the way back to Lincoln. And I've had a great fun in writing the book, The Last Best Hope, and hopefully today I finish edits and I am exactly halfway through the book. Uh, we ought to be done by early September. It is an absolutely brutal writing schedule, more so for having five events this month. It's been crazy, but last day of the month and I hope to be exactly on schedule and we will push the book with you all hard, our community because I think it could be something that we really rally around as a way forward. And again, it's a chance for me to make actual history, and I'm thrilled and honored with that chance. But given all that, I still didn't want to miss, as I've always promised, we will always do around the world in 20 minutes. It will never be stinted on. And as a result, on I go today. And there's no way I can get through today without mentioning the T word, Donald Trump. I, I try so hard to move beyond him. And yet, like in Godfather 3 with Michael Corleone, they keep dragging me back. And here we are to talk about Donald Trump again, who it's announced has been indicted for paying hush money to a porn star. You couldn't make this up. Uh, and that uh, this was a campaign finance violation. The people who have been out to get Trump, I mean, Trump has been lucky, as have a number of leaders in history, by being blessed by his enemies. I remember Margaret Thatcher, who I got to know a little bit when she retired, was a great pleasure in my life. And one of the things she said that stuck with me is that how lucky she was that her enemies were so loathsome. Arthur Scargill of the National Union of Miners came across as a Trotskyite waving nuts. Uh, the Labor Party under Michael Foote, again, a bunch of Trotskyite nuts. The junta in Argentina, the loathsome human rights violating, inept, thuggish junta under General Galtieri and the Falklands, that she couldn't have picked better enemies if she tried. And to some extent, Donald Trump has been blessed by this process. He, too, has been lucky in his choice of envies. I even coined a phrase for them. It, it, it's a known mental illness, TDS, Trump derangement syndrome, whereby his enemies stoop to his level and as we used to say, it don't fight with a pig in the mud because you both get dirty, but the pig likes it. And Trump, of course, however low you go, he'll go lower. And when he drags you down from any sense of moral superiority, 
you find yourself baffled and dazed because he's enjoying himself and getting the better of you, and you've now given up your principles and fighting him. And this has happened for the Democrats over and over again. I mean, again, as I've said before, if we had a movie on reverse side starring, one assumes, directed by Spielberg and, and starring those liberal darlings, Tom Hanks, who, side note, I adore, Meryl Streep also adore, and if they, if they followed what the Democrats did with Hillary Clinton using opposition research, which she knew to be false, giving it to the intelligence agencies who then linked, leaked it to the press as fact, uh, this would be Watergate times two and we'd never hear the end of it. And indeed, that's what the Democrats now did very clearly with no one saying much of anything in the always wrong left-leaning mainstream media and made Donald Trump a martyr, which is the absolute last thing you should make the guy. And they've done that. And his cries of victimization ring true because they are true, because the Democrats in their derangement to get him have broken the very norms that they value and that they are appalled that he's breaking. And this has happened through the Russia collusion story, through the op research, through Hillary, through every form of impeachment. They just can't wait to get their law and order perp walk with the orange one in an orange jumpsuit with handcuffs doing the perp walk, as McCoy would say in Law and Order. And that becomes their goal. And this, of course, has degraded and deranged them when those of us who are moderates have begged them just to play the ball and not the man. Trump has succeeded in them playing the man. They lose their minds. Everybody looks awful. Democracy itself looks awful. And Trump often skates away. And he's always the phrase that MSNBC has made famous for being Wrong over and over again what awful political risk analysts they are because they value what they want rather than what is. And always the walls are closing in on Trump, that the end is nigh, that Trump is about to go under. And they've said this since 2015, and he hasn't. Like the roadrunner, uh, he's escaped Wiley Coyote and he's curiously ineffective Acme products. And Wiley Coyote can never quite figure out why this goes wrong, and yet it does over and over again. And Trump as roadrunner has made sense. And on the face of it, this indictment is just another example of this wish fulfillment rather than reality. Manhattan, probably the most liberal area in the United States, has a prosecutor funded by George Soros. You couldn't make this up. The bugbear of left-wing funding uh, that he's funded a number of prosecutors who are for lenient sentences as crime runs rampant, this is one of these guys who says fewer people should be in jail. And as a result, he's a, he's a perfect Republican target. And he determined to go ahead with his prosecution, even though the former um, ADA for Manhattan, Cyrus Vance Jr., a very good lawyer, said it's not worth doing. Because what they got Trump on was paying hush money to a porn star, but that's not the crime. You're allowed to pay hush money to anybody. It's that this entered into federal election. Forms, which is a misdemeanor. It's a parking ticket. It's a fine. It's a minor violation of the rules. That doesn't mean they shouldn't give him the misdemeanor. But in pushing for this to be a far more serious felony, they have to prove intent. Cyrus Vance made it clear you couldn't prove intent because how do you know what's going on in Trump's fevered mind? Did he pay this hush money because he thought this would somehow hurt him with his supporters? That seems a stretch. And again, you have to prove it. I don't see how you can prove this uh, when Trump has done far worse things that are on the record forever. There was, for instance, a play by Boy Bunny at the time 
the Ms. McDougal, who said Trump had had a 10-month relationship, whether the list goes on and on and on. But this is the time he thinks that people are going to care. After what he said in the bus and access Hollywood about his views on women, could that get worse? Or did he do this to spare himself personal embarrassment with Melania, his family, etc.? Who knows? But if you don't prove intent that Trump said, I can't let this woman's story get out there, Stormy Daniels, the porn star, her, her story can't come out there because it would ruin me in the election. If you can't prove that intent, there is no crime. And the other two uh, looming indictments against Trump are far more serious. The one in Georgia, where he's accused of um, messing with the election. For instance, when he called the folks in Georgia, the governing elite, I think it was the attorney general, and said, find the 10,000 votes. And a Republican, who the attorney general was, has announced this story. This seems to me far more serious meddling with the election in that state uh, than, than this porn star charge. Vance wisely skipped this, saying this will merely make Trump look like the victim and the martyr he wants to be, because there's a ring of truth in it. The Democrats are out to get him, and they don't seem to care too much about the facts. And in Manhattan, the most liberal district in the country, again, left of Trotsky, getting an indictment of a ham sandwich if it was related to Donald Trump seems very doable. And so this just plays into his victimhood that the country and the left wing and the establishment are out to get him. And to prove this would seem impossible. And even if they find him guilty, Trump can say, yeah, in the most liberal district in the country, they just want to see me do the perp walk. They just want to see me in leg irons. This has nothing to do with justice. And congratulations, you've made a martyr of the one guy in the country I don't want to be made a martyr of. And that seems to be on the surface what this is. This is another example of the Democrats overreaching. The worst of the three cases, the best case is probably the Georgia case where he tried to find votes or he, he instructed the Attorney General of Georgia to find votes. Again, intent there is kind of hard to prove, but it's a it's at least we have the corroboration of a Republican in, in, in a purple, if not red-leaning state. Uh, the second charge relates to January the 6th. I think that's harder to prove. Did he commit treason? He certainly danced on the line. He certainly behaved immorally. We can all agree to that in an unpresidential way that, in my view, should disqualify him forever. Did he break the law? We shouldn't always try to criminalize political differences or even appalling behavior. Um, this is something that our, that, our, we've, that our generation has uniquely gotten wrong. You don't do that. That's how you end up with the banana republic. All the former presidents end up on trial for acts that aren't great, but frankly amount to political persecution. The, the secret sauce of America, the true source of American exceptionalism, is precisely that we don't do this kind of nonsense. That until Donald Trump, every single losing presidential candidate, a major one, has conceded and done so under suspicious circumstances. Be it Samuel Tilden in the 1876 election, Richard Nixon, and no one was more paranoid than Nixon, but giving way in 1960 when Mayor Daley had a lot of dead people voting in Chicago and Lyndon Johnson manufactured an awful lot of votes in Texas, Nixon did the right thing for the country and said, no, 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 we're not going to put the country through this. Kennedy won, if very, very dubiously. Al Gore in 2000, same thing. He knew when he said, it's time for me to go when he had a real case in Florida about hanging chads and confusion, but he cared more about the country than himself. The ultimate danger of Donald Trump is he's the first major leader who is a clinical narcissist, meaning, and I will be specific, he cares more about himself than the country. That is a danger to the constitutional stability that has seen America through 250 years, with the glaring exception 
of the Civil War. We've survived almost every form of eruption, Red Scares, McCarthyism, Vietnam, Watergate, you name it, the Clinton impeachment stuff, all of it, we've survived and maintained a steady pace forward. Donald Trump is a norm breaker, but I don't want him to break the norms of the Constitution, which indeed have made America uniquely stable. And on the surface, the Democrats would be seen to doing this again. And in fact, they are. And whether Trump is found innocent or guilty, his poll numbers are going to go up. And in fact, they are going up. If you look at a rough, real clear politics sample of the Republican race at the moment, it remains a two horse race, meaning anybody getting over 10%, I take seriously. Anybody getting below 10, I don't. Between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis and everybody else is in the footnote range, be it Nikki Haley, Mike, Mike Pompeo, or Mike Pence. They are also rants. So it's a two horse race. It was relatively close, and now Trump has had a bump up due to his victimization. And that's exactly what happens when Trump is attacked. His base rallies around him. As Donald Trump himself very shrewdly said, I could shoot someone in the middle of Manhattan and 38% of the country would support me. That's true. The guy has, um, you know, the, the ceiling versus seller ratio for Trump is so negligible. That's the interesting political thing about him that I don't know why the guy bothers to campaign. Everybody has a feeling about him. 38% of the country love him. That number can drift up to, say, 45%. Up in, uh, up in the attic, but that's it. It doesn't go ever to 50. And so 38 to 45% of the country, depending on what happens, love the guy. Everybody else despises him, and that hasn't changed since 2015. The way Republicans pick presidential candidates, which we're going to talk an awful lot about moving forward, is key here. Republicans, you know, the, the adage is Democrats fall in love with their candidate, Republicans fall in line. Democrats elect candidates proportionally via primaries, so the campaigns go on and on and on. Republicans, as a smaller party, try to very quickly get a candidate and rally around them. And they do this by the way in which the primaries work, meaning winner takes all. I win the Iowa caucus by one vote. I win the majority of the delegates. I win the primary in New Hampshire by one vote. I win the vast majority of the delegates. So you tend to win everything in front of you. So it's the early primaries that matter and not the overall number. The overall number for Donald Trump has gone up because the left has fallen into its usual trap of trying to make differences with Trump and even horrible behavior, which certainly paying porn, as porn star as I can't believe I have to talk with this. It's a good thing I've had my cappuccino as well as my espresso this morning, uh, which certainly has girded me for the challenge. But the reality is, that this is horrible behavior, but this is something for Melania to throw a coffee cup at him about. This is not criminal behavior, and even if it is, it's not provable. Let's stop criminalizing these differences. The Democrats have got to stop this endless litigation where we turn it into warfare. Nobody takes the law seriously anymore, precisely for this reason. And that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy in a republic run by rule of law. So let's be careful about this. It's like overusing... Um, medicine. It, the value of it goes down. Um, and I think we need to think the Democrats need to think long and hard about this, not that they will, uh, but they should. So in the short run, Trump's numbers are going up and they'll go up further as we go through the circus of his indictment and his martyrdom, etc. But that doesn't matter very much because the way Republicans pick primaries means that this time it's different. Why this indictment will now come to finish him. This is counterintuitive to everything I've said, which I believe up to now. Now let's add in the way Republicans pick their presidents. Winner takes all in these states. 
There are four, four early primaries and caucuses, which are geographically uh, dispersed throughout the country to provide some sort of balance. They're in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada. Then we get down the road to Super Tuesday, where we have an awful lot of states voting. But the first story is how these first four states vote. Trump has an air of inevitability about him, that people who even hate him, and goodness knows I know legions of them in Washington, who think he was a disaster in 2018, 2020, and 2022, he's cost them three elections, and yet they can't be rid of him, they don't know what to do, and they're now going to see his numbers bump up. That's what every Republican I've talked to thinks. They entirely agree with me. The Democrats, yet again, have played Wiley Coyote with his curiously ineffective Acme products, taking on Donald Trump as the roadrunner, merely making a murder of him as he escapes, whatever the sentence, and however many years the appeals take. Um, this is something that, that helps Trump, which it will. However, let's go back to how Republicans pick their leader in these first four states. All that has to happen in these first four states is Ron DeSantis has to win at least one, um, if not two, of these, of these first four states, and he's in pretty good shape. Then the narrative is... Not Trump is invincible, he's roadrunner, he can't be stopped, despite the indictment, look at how well he's doing. The national number doesn't matter this early on, and early on in the primaries. Barack Obama got this right. His national number, he was 25 points behind Hillary, but he won Iowa. And suddenly the story becomes, this guy out of nowhere beat the heavily favored Hillary Clinton in the first caucus. And that becomes the story. He's a viable candidate. And so nobody cared that the national numbers still had Hillary ahead by 25 points. The first four states are a narrative of their own. So forget the national number and forget Trump getting the bump that he will in the national number from this indictment. Look instead at those states. Iowa, deeply socially conservative state, one of the most socially conservative states in the United States. They didn't vote for Trump last time. People forget this. They voted for Ted Cruz. They don't like Trump. They don't like the way he treats women. They don't like as evangelicals, and there's a strong evangelical component to Iowa. They don't like the way he treats women and their daughter explaining to their daughters why they voted for a guy who said he was going to grope women by the pussy. They don't like that. They don't like the vulgarity. They don't like the sexism. They don't like the misogyny. They don't like any of it. And they, didn't, they couldn't hold their nose and vote for him last time. Well done. Well done for them. Because the vulgarity of this puts them off. And that's likely to happen again. If you look at state polling numbers as opposed to national numbers, DeSantis is winning in Iowa because they can't stomach Trump. Now instead, we're going to have day after day of Trump's picture next to a porn star. For those in Iowa who haven't been following, they certainly will know the name of Stormy Daniels, if not now, in the very near future. And this certainly is another nail in the coffin of voting for Trump. So expect Iowa to have a huge downer. So the national number can do what they want. At the moment, DeSantis is ahead by about eight points in Iowa. Very early days, but guess what? This is a warning trend. If, if DeSantis were to win Iowa, it's not the state of either, a home state of either of these folks. Trump's a New Yorker. DeSantis comes from Florida. The narrative suddenly is radically different. In New Hampshire, they're running neck and neck. And there are an awful lot of people in New Hampshire, as they watch this, may very well, which is a good governance state, cares about how things are governed, very libertarian and Jeffersonian, my kind of folks. And they may, may very well say, we're sick of all the drama. We're sick of all the drama. 
This is utter nonsense. And this is a line DeSantis is peddling, that his administration doesn't leak, isn't a soap opera, a creepy Oedipal Escalesian soap opera, by the way. Again, everyone should read Escales to understand Trump. Talked about dating his daughter, if she weren't his daughter, on The View. Um, and people are just exhausted by the drama of Trump. And this indictment is certainly nothing but more drama. The pre-COVID country and the post-COVID America, I think, are fundamentally different. And the reason for this difference is that we now live or are aware we live in serious times. The happy, silly days beforehand, remember before COVID, Trump was doing very well. The economy was in good shape and actually the working poor, the white, high school educated, lower middle class were actually catching up for the first time to the rich in absolute terms for the first time in a generation. Deregulation was working. We weren't at war with anybody. Things looked very good for Trump's reelection. And then the world calamity that COVID is, the, probably the single most important global event of the 21st century so far as COVID, because everyone has a COVID experience. Unlike even 9-11, the financial crisis, um, you can argue Afghanistan, in Iraq, these affected a lot of people, but not the totality of the world in the way COVID did socially, economically, politically. And Trump obviously failed this test. One, he left Dr. Fauci in, and DeSantis will play on that. He's not a very good administrator. He left in a man who helped fund the Wuhan lab, but didn't bother to tell anybody this and was wrong about literally held every position on literally everything and talked about limiting our civil liberties. They're not going to like that up in New Hampshire, who's on their license plate. It says live free or die. And so look for this state to follow DeSantis's lead and say too much drama. A post-COVID world is simply too serious with the Ukraine war, with the banks on fire, with the rise of China and the ultimate conflict over Taiwan and the Indo-Pacific looming. The world seems scary. The world seems out of control. And we need grown-ups in charge. Soap operas are fun, but you don't want soap opera stars running the planet. And so New Hampshire is in play. And I think it will be more in play as Trump indictment move along. Well, if Iowa votes for DeSantis and New Hampshire votes for DeSantis. I think South Carolina will vote for Trump and Nevada. Hard to say. Hispanics are a huge percentage there. Uh, say Trump wins. And, and I'm not saying he will, but say that he does. If two of the first four primary caucus states for the Republicans are won by DeSantis, you watch that national number tumble much as it did for Obama. And suddenly we have a real horse race because Trump is not inevitable. That's the story of the first four. And the indictment plays to this. Evangelicals in Iowa are going to hate this. And frankly, good government types in New Hampshire, Jeffersonians, are going to hate this as the indictment goes on as well. This will finish him. Not because the Democrats want to or even understand what they're doing, but because of the post-COVID nature of American society. Having soap opera stars in charge and having constant drama exhaust people when we need serious people to answer serious problems with serious outputs for a serious electorate. And that's what's going to do him in. And DeSantis will come out of this with at least one, if not two wins. And suddenly the narrative is Trump is not inevitable. You watch the establishment already deserting him. Elon Musk, Schwartzman at BlackRock, deserting him. The Koch Foundation, um, who I'm very close to saying they won't vote for him. Exactly right. And suddenly what is a stream of things becomes a flood and Trump becomes in real trouble because he's vulnerable. And suddenly people who've hated him find the courage as the wind shifts to go against him. That's what's going to finish Trump. We're sick, 
of the drama. Thank you very much. Fun to do this ahead of editing about Franklin Roosevelt in World War II, a very serious man who, through a realist approach, changed the world. And I look forward to you all reading the book, The Last Best Hope. Um, and we will talk a lot more about that as time progresses. Again, thanks to so many of you who subscribe. We're overwhelmed with the subscriptions as we boom. Please do continue to subscribe. And for those of you who have subscribed, please do give. We're only asking for $70 a year, $7 a month to give you this unique, cutting edge, up to the minute take on the world as we see it. Take care and have a great weekend. And wish me luck on my editing.